0: Welcome to the Beyond the Box War podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach Charles Agumagu. He's currently the assistant men's basketball coach at Coppin State University in Baltimore, Maryland. Coach, how's it going?
1: Good morning, Coach. It's going great. How are you doing?
0: Doing fantastic. Go ahead and give yourself a brief introduction to the listeners.
1: Absolutely. Uh, my name is Charles Agumago. I'm an assistant men's basketball coach at Coppin State University. Uh, myself and the rest of the staff is entering our fourth year, and hopefully, we're looking to really make that difference and, and make that bigger for jump. But uh, David, thank you so much for taking your time out to you know have me on your podcast. I'm, I'm honored, man. I met you just about maybe a little bit over three years ago. At a recruiting event, and you've been—you've been nothing but genuine, and so thank
0: you so much. Oh, I appreciate that, man. It's a—it's a two-way street. I still remember that event, and uh, I remember the conversation. I was when we—we we talked about Justin Fur and Barry University. Like, <laughs> yes, we're, we're like, absolutely. wait a second, you know Barry? Like, you're not supposed <laughs> to know about Barry. you are Northern Virginia. <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely, absolutely, man, and that that was one of the most genuine and honest conversations and you know when you get into coaching for at a young age which I did similar to yourself you you're told so many times that you know people are so phony and and so fake and there's so many snakes and you know what maybe that's not wrong but I've been blessed and fortunate enough to meet people like yourself who are good genuine honest people so that that that's that's been a blessing in and of itself
0: I bet so you know you talk about when you fell in love with the game of basketball
1: oh uh, wow well, when I fell in love with the game of basketball so I, I moved to Miami when I was three years old with my with my mother my father was already in Miami from Nigeria Africa and uh so I was I was in ninety-five. There we go. Nineteen ninety-five. Right. I was I was three years old. And I, I vividly remember uh in nineteen ninety-six uh watching Michael Jordan and the Bulls win a championship, right? And I I I was sold. I was sold now. Clearly I can remember like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. I, I have no clue what they were running, what they were doing, just the grace in which he played the game. The ferocity in which he played the game, right? And just how good he was. Like, you know, like I, I just how good he was. Like I, I was four years old and I just I was watching how good he was. My mother excuse me, my father was an advid right Jordan fan. So he he'd have me sit there with him and watch the game and I was like, wow he's really he's really good. <laughs> he's he's really good and in that four I, I knew like wow that that's that's kind of what I want to be a part of. Now don't 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 get my words twisted. I'm still a LeBron James fan through and through. That's my guy. But but in, in ninety six watching you know the NBA finals with with, with my dad kinda it kind of sealed the deal for me.
0: Okay. Uh you know so you mentioned you're born in Nigeria. What brought you to the United States?
1: You know what? Opportunity that that my parents had not just for themselves, but for myself, for myself, excuse me, and my future siblings. Uh, At the time I I was their only child and it it was just a a very rigid and, and tough economic climate in Nigeria at the time. And things have gotten better, but, you know, it's, it's still relatively tough and just the opportunity that the United States presented you know, the, the opportunity to go to school and earn your, your secondary degree, right, as well as have a fair shot or a fairer shot, I would say, and having some type of means to provide for yourself and your family. So I, I, I couldn't thank my father and my mother enough for being able to leave not just their home city, their home state, their home country, but their home continent. You know, and I kind of, got just a little grasp of that when I left Miami to move to Baltimore. And, and I was 24 at the time, but it wasn't like I was, I was leaving the country or the continent. You know, it was, I was moving cities and it, I, I knew how big of an adjustment that was. So I, I couldn't thank them for that sacrifice and opportunity.
0: Oh, no doubt. Now, so you, basketball was your first love you, you weren't a soccer or football guy being in the area
1: yeah you know again like i said i left i left the country when i was three so we're still relatively young right so being in the states basketball is the more prominent sport like i get a football is on sundays right but like basketball is usually always on right so i'm I'm an avid miami Heat fan and uh you know watching the the, the bulls in the finals so yeah, I'm more of a basketball fan. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I love soccer, right? I, I love Cristiano Ronaldo. That's my guy. Um, I remember the, the Brazil, the Brazilian teams who were loaded with studs in, in the World Cup. Like they had studs. Um, football. Now, nah, nah, you have to understand, I'm I'm a Dolphin fan, so football. Football has had it has had its down times in Miami. <laughs> in Miami so like I, I dabble in football but but not not very much.
0: Okay, fair enough. So, you know, talk about growing up in Miami and then also uh you know, playing basketball. What was your recruitment like?
1: So, you know what, well, coach, actually you know, playing playing basketball in Miami and just being from Miami, I wasn't I wasn't like I didn't really have I didn't have any recruitment to be to be completely honest with you. And it wasn't because you know I was some hidden and jam and coaches missed me or things of that nature. I was just I was an undersized guard, right, who could get to his spots, but didn't really put any pressure on the defense as far as facing the floor. Uh, I was an okay passer, not not the greatest passer. So you know, if if you're an undersized guard and you you can't really put too much pressure on. Or space out the defense. You had to be able to just slice and dice the defense, like you, like you see a Rajon Ronda being able to do. And I, you know, I was nowhere near that. But the one thing I did do that gave me a chance was I competed defensively. Right, I, I played really hard, and that, that's the one thing I was I was taught, right? Like just compete defensively, play hard. Every loose ball is yours. Take on the challenge of guarding any player, regardless of their six one, six three. Like just take on that challenge, and and I believe that the state of Florida is, is really known for producing athletic players, right? But players that play incredibly hard, players with a motor, right? And and that's one thing I had I had a motor, and that motor allowed me to be able to, to be a preferred walk on, you know, at Barry University, and uh, it, it's it's taken me thus far, right? Because although the role is different from player to coach, right, the motor isn't. Right, the, the, the ability to want to be able to do everything I can do to help us succeed at Copping State is still there. So, you know, to, to answer your question, being from Florida and playing basketball in Florida didn't necessarily hurt my recruitment, right? But it, it helped me understand that you have to play hard, right? Because you see some basketball players from Florida, not, they might not be the most skilled, and I've come to understand that. But one thing you can expect is an as an athlete, someone who has a ton of upside, but someone who's going to give you everything they have as far as their motor goes.
0: Oh, definitely. So, you know, I didn't realize you were preferred walk on. So, what was the? Did you have a relationship with any of the coaches prior to just showing up on campus and going? Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I'm going into my. This is the summer going into my senior year of high school and uh, my high school coach from ninth, from ninth grade on was coach Michael Bradley right, who was still an assistant coach at Barry today and uh, one of my former teammates actually committed to Barry his name was Emery Bennett right so Emery Bennett committed to Barry he was a year older than I was so he was the class of 2010 committed to Barry University that summer right the summer of uh yeah the summer going into my senior year coach Bradley took an assistant coaching job at Barry University right and again I I had a relationship with coach Bradley for going on 4 years and uh you know he he coached me and I I played for him so that he could vouch for my character and my, and my work ethic so that that made things uh, a lot a lot easier
0: okay so you know, talk about your
1: four your four years, uh, you know, at Barry. Oh man, it was, it was, it was just awesome, right? Just let's let's just take the basketball piece out of it, right? Because I asked recruits if you were unable to play basketball at this institution, would you still want to be there, right? And the the question for me was undoubtedly yes at Barry University, right? It wasn't too far from home, might have been. 20, 30 minutes from my house that I grew up in. But just the people that I've met there, right? And and the people that I'm still close with today, and not not just even the students, let's just talk about staff, right? So I, I'm coaching college basketball now, which is awesome. But my advisor as a freshman, or my advisor, she was my professor, as a freshman at Baylor University helped me get connected to the athlete, the former athletic director now at Saint Thomas University, whereas that's the place where I, my first mentor, Coach Patrick Gale, was the head coach who hired me, who then in turn pushed me to look for you know Division One opportunity where I got was able to link up with Coach Dixon, and you know four years later I'm still at Cal State. So it's 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 like a web. You see what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. So so literally Barry without me even knowing it or being able to foresee it thought all, all of like, just put all of those things into fruition. Right. And my experience was awesome. And then you bring, you bring in the basketball piece and it could, my coach, it couldn't have been any better. Right. To be able to set records as far as most win totals, right. To win regular season championships and compete for conference championships. And, you know my senior year, be able to play in the Elite Eight. It was just, it was, wow, it was unbelievable. It was really unbelievable, and, and something that I will always cherish. And my teammates, and I, still are very close to this day, from the time I first got there to when I was a senior, and even the class, the classes after me. You know, we're still close, and it's just, it's really, you know, I, I can't take coin the phrase brotherhood because we all know that's Duke University, but it, it's really a family, truly. Truly, truly a family.
0: So I got to ask you, being a Miami Heat fan, and yes, <laughs> uh, going to Barry when you did, did you ever cross paths with uh, Shaquille O'Neal? I know he graduated. <laughs> yeah, one of his like a hundred degrees. Uh, you know, while you were there, do you ever uh, cross paths?
1: Yeah. So from afar, from afar. So like I, I, I wasn't in, in, in the student section, right? And I, and I, it was. I guess this was before he started the the, the, the whole like. Doctor program where, I don't know, he has like a thousand degrees, to be completely honest with you. Yep. So I, I don't know what he was on campus for, right? But he was on campus. And, you know, he was had a ton of people surrounding him. Not like his security, but like just a ton of people in general. And I was just like, yo, this dude is huge. <laughs> like, like, seriously. Like, you, you see him on TV, and he towers over players, right? But in person, in real life, I'm like, yo, this this guy is it's just, it's not human. He, he, he cannot be human. And another actually NBA vet that I was able to meet at Barry was Rashid Wallace. Okay. So for, for one year, um, I played with his son, Nazir Wallace. And when, when I tell you Rashid Wallace couldn't have been any more like down to earth and cool and collective, like he was awesome. Very soft-spoken dude, like in person, which is kind of, Surprising, if you know his reputation on the court, but an an, incredible, like, awesome dude. Awesome dude.
0: That's awesome. So, uh, you know, you you mentioned the success that Barry had when you were there. You know, school record, 26 wins, Sunshine State Conference. Man. Regular season championship, you know, Elite Eight, all that good stuff. What do you attribute the success that the program had while you were there?
1: To culture. Culture was the building block, was, was the foundation, right? There were things that Coach Estes allowed, and there were things that we all knew was a no go. You know, there were things that there was an expectation of excellence, right? Like we expect that like we went into games expecting to beat this team by 20 and expecting to, to blow them out, not, not necessarily trying to embarrass them, but expecting to impose our will. But we were only allowed to have that mindset because of the way we worked, right, on and off the court, right? It was culture. Like, like Coach Essie's made it known. this is what we do. This this is very university basketball. This is how we carry ourselves on and off the court. We don't curse around women, right? We're not doing that. Like, if if he had to to curse us out and we had, you know, some athletic trainers were in the gym and they, they had them to be young ladies, he'd ask them to step out. You know, like, the, the, that, that was how he carried it. Coach Fur made it known, like, we're not sagging our pants. We're not wearing any uh, – we're not wearing hats indoors. We're not wearing shades indoors. We don't wear jewelry in practice. We tuck in our our, our jersey. But in practice, we don't skip class. We go to class. Like we had, they had class checks. And if we weren't in class, when we needed to be, there was consequences. So it was a culture. It was a foundation, right, of oh, this is how – we're going to do things and th- th- this is how we're going to go about handling our business right and if you can't do that or you refuse to be a part of that then you're at the wrong place right because uh, like like we've talked about before I believe culture wins right sustained culture wins and you recruit to that and uh, you know that that takes you further than talent because if you have talent without a culture, guys run the muck and, and do things that aren't aren't what you want your program to stand for so i can un- undoubtedly say the culture
0: no i couldn't agree more you know so you staying close to home yes was your family able to come to most of your games
1: yeah man and and that 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 was awesome that that was the cool part about it right now don't get me wrong i, I didn't play very much but it, it was great for when i did play that they were there you know what i mean and just just being able to achieve that dream. Like, my dream was never to play in the NBA. My my dream was never to play overseas professionally. I just loved college basketball. Like, I, I love to turn on a Saturday night game and hear Dickie V call Duke versus Carolina. Or, or, like, the game that I know for sure got me hooked to want to be a college basketball player. It was Duke versus Maryland. It was... Um, they were tied for, I guess, number one, the number one seed uh, in the ACC as far as regular season, and it was Grievous Vasquez's senior night, and when I and I'm and I'm I'm a Duke fan, and Grievous Vasquez, I mean, he lit Duke up, right? And Maryland won the regular season championship that night on senior night, but just the passion, that place was rocking. Well, that place, I mean, that place was rocking, and Dickie V was going crazy. And Grievous Vasquez with his swagger was going crazy, and I was like, "Yeah, man, like that. That I, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a championship. I want to be a part of that fraternity of college basketball. So, man, th- that was my dream, and to be able to have my, my family a part of that, especially for my senior night where we won uh, the the conference. Not yes, the regular season conference championship. That was amazing, man. That that's everything to me. That, that that's memories.
0: No, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people really fell in love with college basketball watching Gravis Vasquez. I mean, oh, guy, he just embodied college basketball. You know, he yes. wasn't a five-star guy who was just a one-and-done. You know, he loved being a college student. He loved being a part of the basketball program. Like he just embraced it.
1: Absolutely, and he was a worker. Yep, you know, like he he was a worker. And, and he just had just this, like you said, it was a, he had the swagger bottom of, of, like, college basketball. Like you said, you couldn't have said any better. He embodied college basketball. And on that night, he gave Duke the blues, literally the blues. And I was like, yeah, man, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this.
0: You know, so you touched on it earlier. You know, you go from Barry to being hired as an assistant coach at St. Thomas. Uh, An NAI school in Miami gardens, Florida, Uh, you know, just just reiterate kind of how you got on staff there and, and just the importance of that relationship, man, you know, that
1: I I talked about relationships earlier and, you know, not, not who, you know, but who knows you, Uh, you know, God God was just, uh, not just was, but was and has been incredibly faithful and, and a huge, key in my life and uh, so I'm entering my last semester right in college so for my degree at least my last semester I had to find a 12th grade internship right and as I mentioned earlier uh, I believe she's a doctor now Dr. Leslie Nixon um, you know got me in contact with Mrs. Courtley Todd who was a former athletic director at St. Thomas University and, uh, you know, I, I was able to be her intern, right, in order to get this degree out of it because I knew that the ball is going to stop bouncing after the spring semester, right? When, whenever we lose in March Madness, the ball stops bouncing for me. And I was okay with that, right? But I wanted to be a part of athletics. I still wanted to, to be ingrained in athletics. That's the career that I wanted to be a part of. So I, I interned with, you know, Miss Corley Todd at St. Thomas, and, uh, you know, from time to time, Coach Gale would pick my brain of asking about a game, you know, asking about maybe a game plan or a ball screen coverage or, you know, how do you attack a hard edge or a show? How do we, I should say, attack a hard edge or a show? And, you know, we, we just have, like, casual conversation, casual nothing, like nothing too deep, but, like, casual basketball conversation. And as my internship wound down, you know, I – Started to get nervous because I'm about to graduate and uh, you know, I I don't have any job opportunities, right? And uh, I went to school for four years, man. And there's no way, and and I say this with all due respect to to any uh, you know, grocery line workers, there's no way that I'm going to be packing groceries at Walmart after doing a four year degree at a private institution. No, sir, that's not going to happen, right? So I expressed that worry and that fear and that anxiety, you know, to my mother. And we, we have a prayer that we still pray to this day. And that's <laughs> helped sustain me throughout, you know, my, my 27 years of life is that the Lord will bring your divine helper at your time of need, right? Like where, where you're in, when you're in your desert, right? And you need to find your oasis and then you need to get through your promised land the Lord will bring your divine helper to help guide you through that. And uh, at that point in time, I was at my desert because I was worried about not being able to utilize my degree in the way that I wanted to utilize it. But, uh, you know, I remember it was it was a week before my internship ended. And, uh, you know, I, I had my meeting with the athletic director, just kind of just trying to touch base to see if there's any opportunities available. And at the time, I didn't have any, which I kind of understood being a smaller, you know, university. I kind of understood that you can't make, can't technically create a position for an individual. And if you do, necessarily, it's going to be unpaid, right? So, uh, uh, again, I kept praying that Lord, like, have my divine helper meet me at my point of need. And it was the last day of my internship. And Coach Gale, uh, you know, invited me out to, like, uh, a late lunch. And at that late lunch, he offered me an assistant coaching position. And he, he said, you know, the Holy Spirit ministered to him that, oh, you, know, you need to have this young man on your staff. And, man, I, I couldn't be more grateful for that opportunity, right? But God God manifested himself in my life, right, using Coach Gale as my divine helper. And that that's really how, uh, you know, I, I became an assistant college basketball coach.
0: That's awesome. You know, talk about the life of an NAIA coach and, and what did you enjoy about your time at St. Thomas?
1: Wow. Uh, you know, it's a totally different, for those who don't know about NAIA, it's totally different rules, right? It's it's literally a wild, wild west. There is no dead period. <laughs> they are very, very limited recruiting rules. So it's a grind, man. Like, Clearly, the, the budget is nowhere near some NCAA schools or most NCAA schools, to be honest with you. So, like, we'd we get on a – you know, get back from a nine-hour bus ride, and the next morning, myself and Coach Dale will use a rental and go recruiting, right? And then I, after we come back from recruiting, the next morning we have practice. Uh, we have a coaches' meeting, uh, you know, plan practice after practice, I'm watching the laundry, you know what I mean? And, 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 and after doing the laundry, like, I might have to do class checks and, and help student athletes out with, with uh, you know, the academics. So it, it's really an all-encompassing role being an assistant coach at an NAIA school, at least from my experience. And it's, it's a lot, man. You, you are, like you said, the academic advisor. You are compliance because you have to learn how to read transcripts. Right, to make sure that A, this young man can play at this level and, and B like he's able to get into the university. And it, it was it was really humbling, man. It was it wasn't what I expected as an assistant coach, right? Because again you you watch the Dukes, the Kentuckys, uh, the University of Miami's, and they have a thousand suits on their bench, right? And they, they have people who people for everybody, for everything, and GAs and things of that nature. So when you're the head assistant, uh, head, head uh, <laughs> compliance guy, uh, you're the GA or the laundry guy, it gets it gives you mo- multiple hats to wear, right? And it gives you experience in multiple places. So I, I remember having to out-scout a team, right, while doing the laundry, like I'm, I'm doing my scout while I'm washing the laundry, as well as making sure that the meals for game day were prepared knowing when when they are going to be prepared so it, i wore several hats at a young age and at times it, it was frustrating but i'm incredibly grateful for it because it's prepared me for for what i what i'm able to do today
0: definitely now you know you seem to love life in miami so <laughs> yeah. imagine it wasn't easy to leave you know talk about your decision, whether it was copping or you know other opportunities that might have presented themselves, Yep. you know, to leave, you, know to leave.
1: you know, um, you know, but before Coppin, I actually actually had a few, uh, you know, GA GA opportunities, excuse me, and uh, the most recent one was at um, Eastern Kentucky, and you know, uh, I think about it now, like man, I was really spoiled to stay 20 plus years in Miami, right? In the state of Florida, I was really spoiled. And just being in Baltimore, seeing all four seasons, it's like, wow, boy, was I spoiled. And and to be, to be honest, David, the the leaving part wasn't difficult, right? Because I knew I was leaving to, to chase a dream, to follow my dream, to follow my next chapter, right? But the acclimation part was like, man, I never had a winter coat. Like I never had snow gloves, David. My first time ever seeing snow, I was twenty-four years old, and we were about to play University of Yukon in December. That was that was my first time ever seeing snow. So it was an acclimation period that that I had to get used to. It was, you know, how things are done, and they say the Northeast is fast-paced. Definitely is. Definitely is nothing. Nothing like Miami right? The lingo is different. The way you dress is different. So the actual act of leaving wasn't the hard part, right? Don't get me wrong. It was difficult leaving my mom and my friends and everything that I knew, right? Leaving my comfort zone. But people will tell you that the most growth that you get in life is when you step outside of your comfort zone, right? So in an adjustment period for for like the winter, I'm like, man, you need winter clothes? Like what the hell are winter clothes? Like, you need a coat? Like, what the hell is a winter coat? So I remember, like, my first winter. And I was clearly ill-prepared. I was, like, I'd wear um, a hoodie and a jacket. Like, just, like, I'd literally try to bundle myself up the most I can until I learned the importance of long johns and a winter coat, right? And and uh, that changed my whole perspective on life. So it was just an adjustment period, man. It was It was different to say the very least it was different
0: so you know the University of Maryland legend Juan Dixon hires you originally as a director of basketball operations uh, yes first takes over at Coppin State how did you connect with him and and what was that first conversation like
1: man um so again this God manifesting himself in my life right so after our first season at St. Thomas University my first season I would say You know, we we win twenty games, we lose nine. We were ranked in the NAIA top twenty-five polls multiple times, twice as high as fourth. We beat uh, a couple NCAA D two teams, and you know we we had a successful season. And uh, you know, I had my end of the year meeting with Coach Gale, and Coach Gale told me like, Coach, I believe there's something greater for you in this business. You no know, I, I don't plan on bringing you back next year because and you know, i want you to get to that division 1 level and get on anywhere you can whether it's ga, Dubbo, whatever whatever get on in any way you can and you know then started the search to be you know division 1 ga and uh, as i mentioned earlier i had uh, an opportunity at eku that didn't didn't pan out and the story really started to pick up traction you know, when I, I went to Florida State for a couple months, right to work their summer camps, it was you know working their summer camps as well as an addition an audition, excuse me, for like a GA spot, and it was awesome, man. It it was it was it was awesome. Met some really great coaches, uh, Coach C Y, um, Coach Dennis Gates. I even was able to have a few one on one conversations with Coach Hamilton, and uh, you know I see why they went. Right. I see their culture, it's, it's ingrained in everything they do It's unbelievable, so kudos to, to Florida State and those guys But, uh, you know, I, I felt like I was going to get that GA position I, I really did, I felt like I left an indelible mark But, you know, unfortunately I didn't get into into the grant program Like, I didn't, again, I'm, I'm wide-eyed and bushy-tailed I, I get my four-year degree I did. I took a couple of master's courses at Barry, but like I never, I never took the the, the GED. Is it, is it GRE? It is. Is it GRE, correct? Yeah. I, I, I never. Yeah, I never took. I never took that. Right. So, uh, it's it's my last my last week at Florida State, and uh, their then director of ops, who has moved on, was like, you know what, man? Like, you, we can't help you get into school. Like, you have to get into school. So I go online, look at the requirements. I'm like, oh, GRE. I'm like, oh, I have never taken that, right? All right, cool, whatever. I I apply for for the first GRE test when I get back to Miami. Bro, when I say that was the hardest exam I have ever taken in my life. Now, mind you, I'm ill-prepared for it. I didn't study. It was literally four hours of staring at a computer screen. I'm like, yo, this is unbelievable. This is this is unbelievable. So it goes without saying, like, my, my test scores aren't high enough. And I don't get accepted into uh FSU's grad school. And I'm 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 disappointed, of course. Like I'm sad and I'm I'm downcast. But my mother, my my mother tells me, like, yo, man, you gotta, you know, pick yourself up, keep grinding, keep working, keep believing, keep praying. And and I told her, I said maybe, you no, know, maybe, maybe I do have to, you know, pay my dues a little bit longer at Saint Thomas University because you hear God say it all the time: pay your dues. You know what I'm saying? Do what you gotta do. Pay your dues. Blah blah. Pay your dues. And when I said that "pay your dues" statement to my mother, you know she looked at me very sternly, and she said, "Well, if your Lord and Savior already paid it all, then what are you paying? What dues do you have to pay?" And, and when she said that, that, that that was just so deep, and it gave me, like, second energy. So it was the last recruiting, like, it was the last recruiting event of that summer, um, summer of 2016, I believe it was. And um, it the event was at actually at ESPN <laughs> World of Sports in, in Orlando, right? And, uh, you know, Coach Gale got me a rental, uh, got me a hotel room, and I went. To Orlando with the sole purpose of just introducing myself to as many coaches as I possibly can. I had my business card, and I went there just just to you know try and make an, an impression on some people, right? Try to give them the Cliff Notes on Charles Armgard with my energy, with my attention to detail, right? With with just just seeking an opportunity, regardless if it was if it's paid or unpaid, just seeking an opportunity. And, uh, you know, in Orlando, I was able to speak with and, and talk to 60, 67 coaches. And the first, actually, when I parked my, my rental car, was Phil Gaetano, who's a former assistant at Coppin State. He's now at Merritt Mac College. And uh, he was the first person I was able to exchange information with and speak to. Humble young man, great dude. Um and from Phil Gaetano, I met 66 other coaches. I don't know one of them being uh, Coach Jason G, who's now at Cincinnati. Um, I met uh, Coach Rio Pitt, who's at, at South Carolina State. I met a ton of guys, right? I also met – not met, but, um, you know, I bumped into him. Coach Ryan Saunders, who's now the head coach at Converse, Converse College. Um who left Ashley Bear University. He was one of my assistant coaches at the time. And he, he gave me a great pointer. He said, don't just text and email these guys. Write them a handwritten letter, handwritten note. So, you know, after the recruiting event was done, I, I go back. Um, I go back to my little cubicle at St. Thomas. I sit down and I handwrite. 67 notes right and I mailed them off because I don't want I don't want them to forget me I'm sure they meet so many people I don't want them to forget me so throughout that week I handwritten all 67 notes and I sent them off but as I was writing these notes the Holy Spirit ministered to me and told me man whoever number that you have uh, cell phone numbers shoot them a text and actually looking for uh, a GA volunteer assistant or whatever and I, I reached out to Coach Phil Gaetano. And, you know, so yeah, actually, we're looking for you know, a volunteer assistant that, uh, you know, kind of does the Dobo role, but is still allowed to go recruiting. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And I was on the phone with Coach Dixon. And, and I, I told him, like, Coach, if you can just give me one meal and somewhere to lay my head, I'm good. Right. And that, that like I said, Phil Gaetano was my divine helper at my point of need and he got me connected with Coach uh, Dixon and, you know, the rest is his history, as I like to say. That's
0: awesome. So, you know, after your one season as a DOBA, you're promoted to assistant coach the last three years. Um, yeah. You know, talk about what it's like to be kind of, you know, recognized for your hard work and, and to be uh, trusted by not just Coach Dixon, but the rest of the coaching staff.
1: Yeah, man, uh, for Coach Dixon to believe in me, uh, you know, our social head coach, John Oslander, to stamp that because I, I guarantee you, nothing gets stamped without Coach John saying yes. It's, it's really just that simple. And uh, you know, Coach Gal, excuse me, Coach Gaetano, being able to vouch for me, uh, it, it's it's really it's it's humbling, man. That that's really the word that comes to mind because, like I said, just by nature and by who I am, I'm going to give my all and work as hard as I possibly can right? But for someone to acknowledge that work and to say, like, man, you've done a great job and, and here's your promotion. I was an unpaid assistant. I was an unpaid volunteer assistant my first year in Baltimore, you know, at Coppin. I, I worked a desk job in the weight room to be able to pay my rent and to be able to, uh, you know, be able to have something, some money to to feed myself. So, so for them to, you know, promote me and for me to be able to have a full-time paid assistant job was awesome. It was incredibly humbling, especially from people who've been in the NBA. Like Coach Dixon played eight years in the NBA and 10 years professionally. Coach John was in a, an assistant coach with the Boston Celtics G League team. Same thing with Coach Field; He was an assistant coach for the Boston Celtics G League team. So to see how things are done at the highest level, right, And and to say that, you know, I've been able to – Understand the schemes and grasp the schemes, and not just be able to understand and grasp it, but be able to teach it to the student athletes at a high enough level where they can trust me with being an assistant, uh, trust me with scouts, trust me with recruiting, and just having a valid input on recruiting. Man, it's uh, humbling. I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity, and I don't, I don't take it for
0: granted at all. Well, that's awesome. So. I don't think I've ever told you this story. I've told a couple people uh, my, my, I call this my Juan Dixon story. Okay. (laughs) So I'm coaching a Catholic and I'm refereeing high school basketball also. So I'm doing a JV, I'm doing a JV game. And then I'm going to shower up and meet the bus to drive up to, I think, New Jersey for a game. So it's at Marshall high school. Where Daniel Deaver played and Wakefield's playing. So you guys had two players you were looking at. You had Cooper yeah. and you had Deaver.
1: Yes, Amara Cooper. Yep. Yes.
0: Yep. So so early in the game, the coach for the JV coach for Wakefield gets a tech. And he's winning. I mean, it was a stupid tech. Then later on, there's like there's gotta be like six technical fouls. There's this guy gets ejected, throws his water bottle against the wall. Water goes all over the court. So we delay the game, and there's no coach. He didn't have an assistant coach. So eventually, this guy who just got named an assistant at Bishop Ireton, Trey Ford, steps in. They like two or three people step in as assistant coach because they had the freshman game that was going on in the, the small gym finished though he came in I mean it was it was a total crap show and so after we shortened halftime and, and I I get back in there for the third period who's sitting in the corner Juan Dixon Juan Dixon yeah. and, and coach John and so I there's a dead ball and I go to my partner and I cover my mouth and said well uh I know two coaches are going to be pretty pissed off hey he says well I said <laughs> well those two dudes are here for the varsity game they ain't here to watch us officiate and we still got about 35, 40 minutes conservatively. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you know, would gl- So, you know, the game's not even close to being over. We're going into the fourth period. Again, I keep looking over. Coach Dixon's rolling his eyes. He's getting pissed. I mean, you know, Oslander, <laughs> you know, knows, you know, that region because that's where he played. And, I mean, it's double bonus. We're still getting technical fouls because his team just is totally, you know, not in control. And, and and God bless him. Coach Coach Ford was doing the best he could. I mean, he was telling them, like, listen, the game's in the you know, bag. Just shut up. <laughs> shut up. Don't say anything. Don't high-five each other. Just, you know, let the clock run out.
1: Yeah, just leave it alone.
0: So the game ends. Some referee wants to, you know, give me advice. And, I, and I'm being as polite as possible, saying, like, Listen, I I'm open to as much you know feedback as possible, and, and it was all positive feedback. But I'm like, here's my number. I gotta go. Like, I gotta drive to now, you know, like Hagerstown or somewhere. Yeah, to yeah. The bus. And you you can bet you know the coaching staff at Catholic was not happy that you know now the plans are you know delayed even more. It's like, wait, now we're meeting you, and I have to find an exit. It was a total crap show, but it, it was. It was funny. I still remember that to this day. and
1: uh... that, is, that is so funny because I actually – see, I didn't know you were part of that game, David. That is hilarious because he told me about that game. He was pissed. He was so pissed. And if you know anything about NBA guys, like, their time is, is invaluable. Yep. <laughs> it is invaluable. Like, and, and that's why. I, I kind of sometimes I get nervous when I tell him about game start time because if he if the game doesn't start at the time I told him it's gonna start, he he's not like mad at me, but he's a little irritated. You see what I'm saying? Oh no doubt. no doubt. He's like, and then he's he's incredibly big on his family time, incredibly big on his family time. So he's like, God, jeez, you know what I mean? But he told me about that game. I didn't know you were part of that. That is hilarious. That. So-
0: yeah, so so when I went to your game at Davidson, I wanted to tell him after the game and yeah, obviously the game didn't go as, so we, as got, well. we got our
1: asses kicked at Davidson.
0: <laughs> <laughs> your words not mine, but
1: <laughs> David, we got David, we got our asses kicked. And it was it was my scout brother, and let me tell you something. So they went they basically went elbow weak like delay. Um, you know, and they they hit their big in the elbow, and they did all type of split actions and raps and cuts. So we like we kind of run this similar delay. Like a, it's a five outlook. However, like they they initiated from the elbow, uh, and and we were my lord, they kicked our tails, and we, we thought we were actually prepared for the game. But good God, wow! But anyway, go go ahead. Wow, talk about bad memories, Jesus <laughs> Christ.
0: Uh- <laughs> No, but um, yeah, you know, I, I was gonna say for that scout, man, like you know, you knew the plays before they were coming. But I mean, just turnovers and points and the pain. I mean, Jesus Christ, what do you do? I, I saw them, I think, three times this season, and that was the best game they played. I mean, they played to the level that they were capable of playing, and just didn't didn't sustain that uh that complete game all year.
1: Man, they well, damn the damn show come- I mean, they completed against Coppin State. <laughs> my lord. And you know what? And we ton. We, and guys who weren't known for making shots. Of course, when the game's rolling, they're making shots. You know, and they, they were a really talented team. Really talented team. You know, I, I didn't keep up with them just know how well they did in the 8 ten this year. Clearly no team was better than Dayton in the A ten. So that goes without saying, but incredibly well coached team. Right. They have a really great staff on that, uh, you know, that Davidson Spence. So, man, you know, I, I knew the play and I, and I saw what was coming, but sometimes it, it is what it is. Sometimes you get your butt kicked. <laughs> sometimes you get your butt kicked. So, hey, right, that is what it is. Kudos to those guys.
0: Yeah. Talk about, and you touched on it a little bit, what's it like to work for Coach Dixon? You know, I think so highly of him, his in-game coaching, his preparation, you know, does yeah. more with less. You know, I think he's got a, a bright, bright future in the business.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man, I'll be honest with you. First of all, aside from any type of basketball IQ or acuum, he's a great person. Like, he is genuinely a great person, right? Like, he, he, he doesn't mind stopping and talking to someone, giving advice, laughing. Like, he doesn't even introduce himself as Juan Dixon. He calls himself, like, Jay. You know what I mean? Like, if you know who I am, you know who I am. But if you don't, it's cool. You know what I mean? Like, you would you would never know unless you know him or or look him up after the fact that this dude was drafted by Michael Jordan. It's a lottery pick. <laughs> like he was drafted by Michael Jordan and then played with Michael Jordan. He's a great person. He's a great person. Um, really cares. Really passionate. Prepares for the game. And you know what? He just he has a brilliant basketball mind. Right. And people give him a hard time for running pro schemes. And he tells them all the time, like, it's not about Copping State for us. It's not about Copping State for our student athletes. Their goal is to play at the highest level, whether that be overseas, you know, G League, NBA, wherever they're fortunate enough to play. So we want to give them a brand of basketball that translates. How many how many five star recruits? Do you you know that get drafted and fall off all the time, right? Because they have no clue how to play on that level, right? And not even just offensively, defensively, they have no clue how to guard. Training Training camp is like three days, three or four days. You see what I'm saying? So, like, you have three or four days to show to a staff that you know how to guard, you understand terminology, and you can adjust on the fly. And that's one thing he does. He prepares our players for the next level, both on and off the court with his experiences. So he's, he's a, I mean, he's got to work for like, not, doesn't, doesn't like uh, watch you work, doesn't critique everything you do. Like, of course has his preferences and make his suggestions. Right. And you take that to heart because he's your, he's your head coach. He's your boss, but doesn't micromanage like, doesn't want you in the office at eight AM and you can't leave till seven PM. Like, does none of those things encourages us to hang out with our girlfriends and fiancés? Because he's very big on hanging out with his family. Like, he, he's an uh, incredibly laid back guy to work for. Just get your work done. Make sure you do it correctly and let's execute the game plan. <laughs>
0: That's great. Now, whose job is it to get him those bang drinks? I saw him panning two of those on game day. What, what flavor? I mean, I saw they were like pink or purple or something. What flavors does he check? <laughs>
1: so, uh, you know, Coach Christopher Hayes. Coach Chris is our director of basketball performance. And he just goes above and beyond the, the call of duty. And th- <laughs> those <laughs> those bang energy drinks. Just give Coach Dixon another edge, right? He's already fired up on the sideline, but to give him another edge. And the flavor that you saw was, I believe, the cotton candy flavor. Yes, that's it, the cotton candy. Yes. (laughs) And that's actually his favorite flavor. So, Coach Chris, Coach Chris, make sure that it's either in the can or in his personal, his being Coach Dixon's personal water bottle. Okay. So yes, it's Coach Chris's job. He's our director of basketball performance. He does. He keeps us all hydrated because I never realized until my first ever coaching, coaching, uh, coaching a game, my first ever time coaching a game, excuse me, how dehydrated you can get on that bench. Yep. I because you realize, like man, like damn, like I haven't taken a sip of water in, in, in the whole half. But you're, you're yelling and barking and, and communicating. And I never realized how taxing that job could be. So, Coach Chris does a great job of telling telling myself, and especially Coach Dixon, like, drink, Coach. You have to drink, like, drink. So, he's he's awesome. He keeps us hydrated.
0: Talk about the rest of the coaching staff, you know, who else you work alongside.
1: Okay, so uh, I work incredibly closely to uh, Coach Offlander. Coach He's our associate head coach, and he is the mastermind behind everything we do. Uh, He is one of the best assistants in the country, and I'm not saying that because I'm biased. I'm saying that because he's 29, he turns 30 in September, and he's been an associate head coach for four years, right, and rightfully so, Not, not just by title, but rightfully so. He helps Coach Dixon plan every single practice, he helps Coach Six and plan every single workout. He's incredibly, incredibly involved in recruiting. He's, a, he's the leader of our player development program. He he understands the in and outs of our program. He is what makes our program go. He's the cog that makes our program go. Right? He's brilliant. And and, and I saw uh, Jeff Goodman's. It wasn't, it's not necessarily Jeff Goodman's top me assistants, I guess. He pulled twenty other assistants, and that's that's the list they came out with. And I'm just gonna chuckle about that list, and that's what I'm gonna say I, about that. I
0: was, I'll say it. I was shocked that he wasn't on there. I'm <laughs> I, not saying top assistant in the conference, but I was surprised he wasn't on there.
1: I, I was like, wow. So, John, and I wasn't even tripping about myself. Not like John Oslander isn't on that list. I, you know, and I, and I chuckled, and I, I get it. It is what it is. Cool, but. To the victor goes to spoils, and we just have to do a better job of, of winning games, and then they'll take notice. But that that that's a different conversation, nonetheless. Because John is a, he's brilliant, he's a mastermind, and he's an awesome person to work with. We have fun, we laugh. He I've learned so much from him, just about watching the game in a different scope, watching the NBA game in a different scope, like seeing how we can improve our players' development and get them ready for that level. So he's awesome. Um, I mentioned Coach Chris, who's our director of basketball performance. He's literally my best friend on the staff. Like he's he's my he's my best friend in Baltimore. To be honest with you, that's my guy. He, he gets me right in the weight room. He gets my diet right. He, um, you know, he's able to hold me accountable for when he feels like I'm I'm not doing the job that I can be doing. Um, he is. He wears so many hats. He's like our. Director of Ops as well, low-key, because of, like, his involvement with planning meals and reaching out to the hotels that we're staying at to make sure that, you know, they have a non-pork option for our guys to eat, you know, and that they can keep breakfast open a little bit later so that our guys, since we're getting into town so late, that our guys can sleep in a little bit longer. Um, I work with a former player as well, Lucian Brownlee, um, who actually takes the role of Director of Ops. And he's just awesome man to to watch Lucian's growth to coach him for two years now. This will be his second year on staff. It's awesome. Very soft spoken young man, but uh, he understands the schemes offensively and defensively. He understands like the type of characters like guys that we're, we're trying to to bring in. He and he also just has a post for the locker room. Being a former player at Coppin State, right? He has a post for that locker room, and he's a great a great asset when it comes to demonstrating moves and finishes because he's still incredibly athletic and can finish and play at a high rate. Now there's one more guy that we're adding to the staff as an assistant that I can't speak on, but, but but once, once you hear that announcement be made, you're going to be like, Whoa, that's big time. So high, high level guy played four years of divisional basketball at a high level, played 15 years professionally at a high level, um, from Baltimore, um, coaches uh, over, over overseas or coach overseas for a few years coach, coach a very good uh, overseas team so uh, you know I, I, I can't I can't say the name yet you know how HR goes but you, you, he's going to be a great addition to our staff
0: no, that's awesome man. I know that uh, you know we talked about in you know, the first time we met that you know all d ones aren't created equal you know for <laughs> for sure. budgets as far as staff uh, i know that you guys you know kind of operate with a smaller staff per se yeah. um yep. so i you know i've always said you guys do more with less uh, than a yeah. lot of schools that i've seen
1: and you know what and you know I, I saw a little back and forth on twitter maybe last week or the week before last i believe it was it coaches changes chain coaches changing account or whatever whatever account that was and uh I, I kind of chuckled, man, because again, if you just, if you see the record, right, you, of course, you have all bad things to say. Oh, in their third year, they only won 11 games and things of that nature. But if you know the uphill battle that we have to climb, or, and I'm sure it's different at every other school. But if you know that we are the main source of revenue for our athletic program and we have to bring in 750K in non-conference games, if, if you knew that you knew that most of our games are, are by games, right? If you knew that I'm able to get that much money and more while still being able to have two home games in the non-conference, you'd give us a pat on the back, right? If you knew that we've increased our win total every single year, you'd give Coach Dixon a pat on the back. If you knew that the four non-conference wins that we had this year is the most division one non-conference wins in Coppin State men's basketball history, you'd give Coach Dixon some more credit. Right, if you knew that those eleven wins are the most wins, all being Division One wins, right, in almost two decades at Coppin State, you give Coach Dixon more credit because again, like we had double digit wins, just the first time they've had double digit wins since 2013, right? And in 2013, they weren't all Division One double; they weren't all Division One wins. You see what I'm trying to say? So pe- people don't give Coach Dixon enough credit. People don't give Coach John enough credit because they're too busy looking at the numbers right? But if you look, if you look closely enough, and I knew what you were talking about, you realize having guys like Kobe Thomas come into Coppin State, Andrew and Aaron Robinson come into Coppin State, right? Being able to keep a player like Dewan Clayton, right? At Coppin State, right? Being able to bring in a recruit like Anthony Tark, right? To Coppin State. Being able to bring in a Sharif Knox to Coppin State. Being able to to bring in a Keenan Sarban who, who guys, you guys, you want to talk about a unicorn at 6'10", 6, 6'11", 6, can shoot the lights out, can pass the ball. You want to talk about a Justin Steers, right, who when playing for Philly Pride had the whole world in, in his hands, right, and he was an all-rookie all team performer, bringing them back to Coppin State. I truly believe Coach Dixon and Coach John don't get enough credit, right, because they're so busy looking at an 11-20 record. And it's okay. We, 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 we let them sleep. They, they don't know what we have to go through. They don't understand, like, the budgetary constraints. They don't understand, like, why we have to play so many bye games. They don't understand that we beat a little Chicago team who has four four players from their Final Four team, right? They don't understand that we beat a JMU team by 20. We beat an ECU team by 20, right? And we should have had more than four non-conference wins, but we did get bit by the injury bug. But they don't understand that, right? And it's beneath me. When I see I see people spewing ignorance on social media, to even engage them, all I do is I bookmark it, noted. Don't worry about it, uh, Jeff Goodman. I know it's not. I know it's not technically European, but whoever you polled. Don't worry about it. It's noted, and it's all it's good. It's
0: bulletin board material. I mean,
1: yeah, it's it's all good. All noted. All noted, my brother. All noted.
0: You know the success you guys had in the non-con, which. Like you said, you guys don't get the luxury of scheduling not three non-division one games. We don't. But, yeah, you know, take that into account. If you put that in there, take three losses away. And- exactly. I mean, like
1: we 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 see, we see teams and this, and I'm not going to say any names. Schedule uh, the, the worst of the worst NAIA schools, right? Schedule schedule uh, some really bad D two schools, right? have the nerve to to beat them by 40 and and say, oh, well, you know, we, we have 15 wins. Well you you played three cupcakes. If we if we could have played those three teams, we'd have we'd have 14 wins.
0: Yeah, go go play a division two with max scholarships. Don't go play one
1: with two. Yeah, yeah. Don't go play one that that's in a in a poor region that that has eight scholarships. No, no, go play, go play Barry at Barry. Right, or hell, or have Barry come to you. Right, go, go play, go play, uh, excuse me, Nova Southeastern on a neutral floor. Yeah, like play, play those guys, <laughs> like go, go play those guys, right? Like and, and, and see and see what they could do. Pay, pay, Belmont Abbey. Yeah, play, play those guys. So, and then, and then just just the luxury of we don't have a football team, right? So that's why we're, we're actually bringing so much money, right? So like you guys have a football team that's bringing in X amount of money. You guys have certain certain donors who can bring in X amount of money. We don't really have that on the high scale, right? So we, so yeah, man. I just I I laugh because the person wearing the shoe know where it, it fits the tightest. Yep. So so we get it, and then think about it. We only have two assistants. It's Coach Dixon and myself, and Coach John are the only ones that that do scouts. Come on. Like imagine that turnaround.
0: Yeah, no, I mean that's that's, that's insane. Talk about the success that you guys had in the non-conference and how it carried over into MIAC play,
1: or well, how it didn't, to be honest. <laughs> you
0: guys, still increased your win total in conference.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But you know what? Uh, the non-conference, what what I can say was when everybody was healthy, right? We were incredibly deep. Right. We played 10 guys consistently and those guys bought into their roles. Right. And we knew, like, we're going to face adversity every night because the team is paying us 100,000 plus hotel rooms to go get to, to kick our asses. That's just what they're doing. They're not paying us for a close game. They're paying us because they think we're not good enough. They're paying us because they think we're a cupcake. Right. They're paying us because we should be a tune up win. And you have that motivational factor on it already, right, as well as guys who are actually talented. Like Kamar McKnight, who averaged 16 points a game overall, not just in conference, overall, averaged 13 points per game in the OVC. You know what I mean? Uh, a- Andrew and Ann Robinson, who played at Quinnipiac, were, were, in, were talented with three- and four-star recruits coming out of, out, of, out of high school. Kobe Thomas was NEC Rookie of the Year, you know, from Robert Tom- from Robert Morris. Dewan Clayton is a 1,000-point scorer and, to be honest, the most underrated point guard in the country, right? So these guys are already intrinsically motivated because they believe coaches didn't see their talent or gave up on their talent, right? So being able to face that adversary together, being able to be in that foxhole together, being able to be 10 players deep, right, and understand that, hey, you might not need to be scoring X amount of points this night, but we need you to guard the best player because you match up with them better. That translated into conference because we know that anybody can beat anybody in conference, right? You have to be just as locked in as you were with the JMUs of the world, with the with the uh, Pacifics of the world, with the Montanas of the world. You have to be locked in the same way with Norfolk, right, and A&T and Central, and FAMU, right, and Morgan, and Howard. Like, right? you, your focus cannot shift because you believe that those players aren't as good as the ones that you play in non-conference. That's not the case at all, right? And those and those coaches are prepared, and they, they know what you like to do. They've had 15 games to see what you like to do. So once we got rolling, uh, you know, we, we, it really got rolling. We ended the year on a three-game win streak, and we, we were incredibly hyped to play Norfolk at Norfolk. For the first game of the MIAC tournament, we were hype. It couldn't been it couldn't have been a better matchup for us to get our first win against Norfolk. So we we we, we were hyped for that. But you know, God had other plans, and that's okay.
0: Uh, that's and that it. leads into my next question. You know, typically one team wins their last game of the season. Yep. Fortunately, yep. with you know, you were one of the teams that season uh, ended early because of COVID. Yes. How difficult was it to not know what could have been?
1: Oh man. Um, it it still sometimes it bothers me at night and not just for me personally as a coach, but for those seniors. Rather I, I feel for those seniors, for Aaron and Andrew Robinson, for not and Kamar McKnight as well, excuse me. For not for them not having a chance to play their way into the NCAA tournament. Because we, we, we were on the roll, three in a row, all on the road, mind you, three in a row on the road and uh we we were we were playing one of our we were peaking at the right time right and we thought that we could give anybody anybody a run for their money regardless of, of who you are and uh, you know the thing with our staff is we we respect we respect every other staff but we fear no one we fear no one we we understand that you know North Carolina Central is the champs as they should be is that I believe that's a 3P all right great job by coach coach Moon and his staff they do a, an amazing job of, of recruiting to their culture, cultivating talent, and winning. But if, if we had to play Coach Moen and, and and NC Central, we're ready. It's no, it's no nerves. It's no oh man, you know they're the reigning champs. No man, like it's basketball. We believe we're going to be prepared. We believe our guys are prepared. We believe that we're the better team, and we're going to prove it to you. So, you know, yeah, I'm sure I, every other team in the country has that feeling, but. We, we really, really believed that we were going to make some noise.
0: No question. You know, HBCUs have been soaring in popularity as of late. What, yeah. what are some of the benefits of attending an HBCU?
1: You know, I, I didn't attend one. But from being able to work at an HBCU, just the camaraderie. The camaraderie is different, man. The atmosphere is, is, is so cool. Like seeing a homecoming. Right, like wow, this is awesome. Right, have having uh fried chicken Fridays. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> I didn't know. That, I think it, it, I, maybe I'm saying it wrong. I believe it's fried chicken Fridays in the cafeteria. I I, I could be wrong, but don't quote me. But I, I know it's something along those lines. But days like like how cool are days like that? Right, like, those are so cool to to see the step shows right during pep rallies. Like it's the the atmosphere is unbelievable. It it buzzes. Right. And you don't just because you you don't sacrifice the education for the atmosphere. The education is top tier as well. There's professors that care and love about your well-being. Right. And that understand where you've come from. Right. Because they've been there. So, man, my experience at HBCU has been phenomenal, has been awesome. It's been awesome. Awesome.
0: You know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, went to the game at Davidson, yeah, and you know, I, you were you were dressed for GQ. Is that is that <laughs> Miami style or what? <laughs>
1: you know what, man? that yeah, I, I give God the glory uh, for being able to have some sense of fashion, because I, I not Coach Dixon is, is by far one of the best dressed college coaches in the country. Oh no, right? I, I got to keep par with him. I'm I'm very big on how my suits fit. I'm very big on my shirt and tie combinations with my pocket square. So Miami has a huge influence on that simply because, you know, people go to Miami for vacations and they try to show out. People go to Miami for spring break and they try to show out. So being from Miami and seeing that, and, you know, I'm a huge Pat Riley fan and Pat Riley was always dressed immaculately. You know what I mean? So like I just I I took little bits and pieces. I take little bits and pieces from Coach Dixon and kind of turn them into my style, man. But I appreciate you saying that. That, that that's one of my that's one of my dreams one day to be on the cover of GQ.
0: Oh, dude, I'm telling you, you were high major five star, uh, power, power five dressed. <laughs> that's
1: high level. That's high level. I appreciate that. That's always the goal, man. Dress, dress, dress for the job you want, right? <laughs> that's the goal. That's always the goal.
0: Talk about uh, some of your coaching mentors, even, even you know, people that you didn't yep. necessarily work for or play for.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, man. The biggest one is, like I said, Coach Patrick Gale, just his attention to detail and his just emphasis on just grinding and working and outworking people. Right? He, he's he's my, 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 my biggest mentor, Coach Dixon, because he's taught me the game at a different level. Right. He's taught me to watch the NBA and not, they're not just running, just pick and roll. No, there's actions being ran. Right. There's players pulling short. There's slot cuts. Right. There's there's players spacing to the corner wide and deep. Like just my, like his attention to detail, right. Even the most minute details. He's taught me how to watch game from differently. Um, Coach Jason G has been a huge mentor for me. He's at Cincinnati right now. And he's just, His ability to build and cultivate relationships, right? Genuine relationships where you're not just trying to to use somebody. He has a rule. It's a 7-1 rule, right? 7-1. He's going to reach out to somebody seven times and generally reach out to them and ask how they're doing before he ever asks for one favor. Right? The 7-1 rule. And I I adopted that. And I used that. Like, I'm never just going to reach out to an AAU guy. Just like, hey, man, what's up with so-and-so player? No, I, I, I randomly reach out to play, to, to AAU guys, to even coaches that I've met, right? Like, if it's something that I see that they've been honored for, like with the Jeff Goodman list, like if I see a guy that I know on that list, a screenshot, I congratulate them, right? I reach out to them seven times before I ever ask, hey, you guys, would you guys be interested in playing? You know what I mean? Like, that 7-1 rule from Coach G, Coach Jason G also really helped me to be okay, right? With being a black man in this business with being a Christian black man in this business right and he told me like if, if a coach doesn't want to hire you for your faith and for your stance on social justice then you know what you don't want to work for him anyway right so coach Jason G is big on that list coach uh, Charleston Young CY of Florida State his, his humility right and his ability to connect he's from Miami as well right connect with me and not not see me as less than he's done. He's been coaching collegially longer than I've been alive, right? But for him to reach out to me and call and check in on me, on me, see why one of the best, one known as one of the best assistant coaches in the country for one of the best programs in the country, checks in on Charles Agmago at Coppin State, right? That that should say all oh, you need to know about his character and his integrity. Just the person he is is awesome. Um, my guy R.J. Barsh right at, uh, he's at Boise State now. I coached against him when he was the head coach at Southeastern. He's an amazing person, right? He's like a big brother to me. He he just, he, he also another Christian man, a man of faith, family man, and he just he's awesome, man. He's a great person, an absolute great person. So those, those few guys come to mind. I love guys as like Conza Martin. I'm a huge fan of Conza Martin. Again, another man of faith, another family man, another man that looks like me, a black guy that that's a head coach at a Power 5 school. I love, I'm blanking on his name. He's at Texas A&M. Uh, Buzz Williams, here we go. Right? His energy, his passion. I actually fell in love with Buzz Williams' coaching style, not because of, like, his intensity, but what he did at his last game coaching at Virginia Tech when they lost in the Sweet 16. He he prayed for each and every one of his seniors, and he poured into their lives for like six minutes, bro. And he knew each and every one of their individual stories, right? And and that moved me. Like that's why they play so hard for buzz, you know. So th- just those to name a few of those guys, those are guys that I can that I can name as mentors and people that I look up to in this business.
0: That's awesome, coach. What associations are you a part of, and talk about the importance of staying active with coaches within the associations?
1: You know what, man? I I be honest with you, I I was uh I guess the college coach and what what is that thing called? NABC. There we go. I wasn't NABC. I, my first year was just past year, um, and it it was cool. It was cool, but to be honest with you, I don't <clears throat> I don't plan on renewing that that membership just because. This pandemic has taught me, like, man, you can just connect with guys. You see what I'm saying? Like, all the these Zooms calls and meeting people. Like, I, I'm in so many different group chats, right? And not necessarily associations, right? But connecting with these guys on a personal level. I've met so many new coaches that I've generally built a relationship with throughout this quarantine, and it wasn't because of any membership affiliation or any any type, of, any type of like association. It's more about me just being personable, right? And reaching out and they reaching back out to me. The one thing I tell young guys who ask me about relationships, I said, reach out, right? Um, text, call, write letters. But then you start to have, you have to start to build with those who want to build with you. Right? And I've met a ton of great people who want to build with me and, I as well want to build with them. So I'm not necessarily in any associations, bro. And I, I apologize if that's ignorant, but like my my phone book is my biggest net worth, right? Cause I reach out to God that I haven't heard from in a while. Like, yo, what's going on? We just talk, man, just build a genuine, honest and open relationship. So I hope I answered your question, man, but that's just kind of where I'm at with it.
0: No, definitely. I mean, you kind of, you know, you get the, the same end result where you Absolutely. like-minded people, You know who uh, you know uh, are on the same page about causes, whether it's social justice or you know ball screen defense. You know a group that you guys know discuss that. So no, absolutely, definitely, you don't need to be in association X, Y, or Z to you know develop relationships and to uh, you know just talk hoops.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and it's just you know I mean like you you have to surround yourself with like-minded people. And I had I had a, a prep school coach call me yesterday where I have to call back. Poor job on me. Called me yesterday and and wanted to know about you know conditioning and off season preparation, uh, workouts, things of that nature. Like that that right there is a brother. that's building something. But that can only happen through through genuine relationships, not because I'm an NABC member or awareness we're members of this Black Coach Coalition. And I'm not I'm not speaking down on those things because those are incredibly important. I'm saying because regardless of if I was in those correlations or in in those associations, if I did a poor job of actually building genuine relationships, I won't be able to reach out or make calls of that nature.
0: Yep, no doubt. So, we've got another segment I call Start, Bench, Cut. I give you three things. You start one, bench one, cut one. Okay. Nike, Adidas, Under Armour.
1: Oh, that is easy. I am starting Nike for a fact. That goes without doubt. I'm, I'm a Nike guy, true and true. I played for a Nike school. I work at a Nike school. The Adidas or Under Armour one is kind of tough. Now, I have to preference myself, right? My first coaching job was at a, as an Adidas school. But Under Armour, I'm in an Under Armour state.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, Jimmy hasn't taken care of uh, yeah. his... Yeah,
1: he, he, they have. So it's easy. Screw it. I'm starting Nike. I got I got a bench under armor and cut Adidas.
0: Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh Chick-fil-A, Cookout, Burger King.
1: Oh man, th- th- this one is easy. I'm cutting Chick-fil-A because of their their stance on, on social justice and Black Lives Matter. Okay. Because and I'm just I can touch base on that a little bit later. I'm cutting Chick-fil-A out of there. Uh you said Burger I'm starting Burger King. I grew up on Burger King. Like Burger King was 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 the Friday meal. Like Burger King and what was the second option? Uh cookout. Oh, oh no! No, I gotta let me. Oh, backtrack. I got to start cookout, Bench Burger King, and cut Chick Fil A. Okay. And cut cutting Chick Fil A hurts my heart, but I, I got to do it. I don't
0: know. I, I respect that. Uh Goodfellas, Scarface, Casino. Oh,
1: say hello to my love, friend. I gotta start. I gotta start Scarface. Gotta start Scarface. He was a bad boy. Gotta start Scarface, gotta bench Goodfellas, and uh, gotta cut Casino.
0: Okay. This is one, and we're not talking sports betting here, but MGM Horseshoe Maryland Live.
1: <laughs> Man, listen, you gotta go in, <laughs> you gotta start MGM, just be honest. Yep. You gotta start MGM. Horseshoe is in my backyard, so, you know, I, I'll bench Horseshoe and cut live.
0: Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Tim Duncan, Carl Malone, Kevin Garnett
1: starting Tim Duncan, starting to, I, the, the most underrated, unappreciated superstar, right. That, that, that I know of, I'm starting Timmy D. Um, um, wow. I'm benching Kevin Garnett. Cause at a point in time, he was my favorite player of all time. And I just love his passion. And he's a winner. He's a winner. His tenacity, his passion. That, that's what I wanted to embody in a six foot frame. And uh, just cutting Carl Malone, no, no disrespect or hate to Carl. Just, no, he's got to cut you.
0: Dolphins, Marlins, Heat.
1: Whew. Heat by a long, by a long, starting to heat. I got to bench. I got to bench. Oh, Jesus Christ, Marlins or the Dolphins. Wow. My, you know what? The, both the Marlins and the Dolphins – have have an incredible knack of blowing up great things, right? <laughs> they they blow up rosters like nobody's business. I I still can't believe the Dolphins traded Jarvis Landry. I I can't. And then and then the Marlins traded either they traded or they didn't resign John Carlos Stanton. Yeah. I, I I'm just so lost as to that. So the Heat are easy to starting them because they do it the right way. Uh. I guess I gotta bench the dolphins and cut the Marlins because I don't want to get coronavirus.
0: <laughs> Last one: hoop dirt, verbal commits, transfer portal.
1: Ooh, hoop dirt, verbal commits—that is big time, brother. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So I'm gonna go verbal commits because they—they actually know me by my first name and they reach out and they talk. So start verbal commits, uh, bench hoop dirt, and to be honest, that transfer portal is so extenuous; it's too much. It's for me it's overwhelming. That's what I forget. It really is overwhelming for me. So I, I gotta cut the transfer portal.
0: Coach, what do you want your legacy to be when all said and done?
1: What do I want my legacy to be when it's all said and done? That I was I was a coach that respected his players as as men. I was a coach who understood that they're not gonna be perfect, them being the players, but I want them to work towards perfection not just excuse me not not work towards perfection but work towards consistency and not just on the basketball court but off the court right i want to be the coach that players don't even talk about the x's and o's right because that, that that should be a given but it talk about my ability to teach life lessons my understanding of where they're coming from right and i want them to say that There was something about him that made me want to either dive into my faith deeper or start to look into my faith, right? Ultimately, I want to be able to change the lives of these young men, right? With the way I carry myself, with the way I I pray, with the way I work, with the way I believe in them, right? So that they can have change for generations. When it's all said and done and Charles Aguamago leaves this earth, I want my funeral to be vast and, and big, not because of the things that I've accomplished, not because of that's the way I want to be sent off, but because of the lives I've changed, because the lives I've touched. I tell all, all the players that we recruit, all our current players, that I want to be a part of your wedding, right? I want to be at your wedding. I want to see all the first baby pictures, the last baby pictures, Right. I want to help you and your and your marriage counselor. Not saying that something's going to be wrong, but we all need guidance. I want to mentor you, right? And I just want to be a part of your life for as long as I'm able to be alive, right? Because if I only gave you a four year commitment, that shows how little I value. I value you, right? When you commit to Coppin State, when you commit to Coach Juan Dixon, Coach John Oslan, and Coach Charles Agumagu, you're committing to a lifelong mentorship. Right. And I want to uphold that part of the deal. I don't I don't want to be known for for, you know, the the guy that won the national championships, the guy that turns around Coppin State basketball, the guy. Yeah, that that's all going to be great. I really, truly believe that I'm going to accomplish those things. I'm going to be a great head coach in the future. I'm going to be a great recruiter of character and young man. I am going to win games. I am going to go to NCAA tournaments. I am going to win championships. I declare those things and I speak them for Jesus name. I am going to do all of those things. But what I can do now, right, is influence the way that my student-athletes look at life, right? It's use my faith, not to preach to them, but to use my faith to, to set aside the way I live so that they can see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? So they can believe that there is a God and that he does work and move in mysterious ways. Coaching is a platform that God gave me to bring young men closer to him. And I never want to disappoint that platform. So
0: uh, well said, coach. Um, yeah. you know, last two questions Who are three guests I should have on the podcast?
1: Oh, wow! Three guests you should have on the podcast. You definitely have to have RJ Barsh on the podcast for sure. Uh, I, I gotta get you linked up to him. You gotta have RJ Barsh at Boys I can send you over contact information. Um, you have to have Adrian White, who is one, one of the guys I know personally. At um, from we, we coach together at same time, which is at Albany State right now. And to be honest with you, man, you, you're gonna have to have uh, Coach CY on on the podcast. He's, I mean, he's so funny. He's he he, he is a he's a great guy, humble guy, n- never above reaching out or giving advice. So, those are three guys I got to get you connected
0: with, okay? Yeah, no, I've heard great things about CY from
1: my oh, and you'll love him. You'll love him. And Coach R.J. Barsh is an up-and-comer. I'm telling you, man. he's a He runs a player development at Boise State. And if you see some of the things their players are doing at Boise State, you're like, great job to, to Coach Barsh. And, uh, you know, Coach Coach Adrian White is a guy who has head coaching experience at St. Thomas with the head coach for a year, right? It's now still working with Coach Gale as an assistant at Albany State, a D2 guy, but from humble beginnings, a grinder, a worker, and so and I think is going to be open and honest.
0: What advice do you have for young coaches trying to get into coaching?
1: Know yourself. No, no, know yourself, right? Because you're going, you're going to learn new coaching schemes. Always you have to be open, book. you have to learn. You're going to grow in the way you recruit. You're going to grow in the way you teach. But you have to learn who you are. What are your non-negotiables? what are you not willing to do right in order to get a player right how how would you like to approach a student athlete who is struggling understanding a concept or what are your teaching methods learn yourself right and after you learn yourself at your core right now you'll be able to learn and take things take advice and maybe be dismissive of some advice and then you'll be able to grow
0: well that's awesome coach um, if listeners want to get in touch with you, social media handles contact info, what's the best way?
1: Man, so so you know, my social media, uh, I'm trying to get a blue check, not there yet.
0: <laughs> you and me both
1: trying to get a blue check. So Instagram and Twitter are both the same. It's at coach Agumagu, Agumagu spelled A G U M A G U. I have a ton of DMs I gotta respond to. Trust me, I'm getting to it. It's just it's a little bit overwhelming with this whole return to play protocol and going back into the office, but I, I don't big time anybody. Um, they can also reach out to me via email at chagumagu at chagumagu.com.edu. So it's C-H-A-G-U-M-A-G-U at coppin, edu, And I respond to all emails. And, you know, if I, if I get good advice from you, I'll re- give you myself and we can go from there. So. It's no problem.
0: That's great, Coach. You know, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. You know, you've been so great to me over the years. Um, you know, actually, I've told maybe one person this. You brought tears to my eyes in the fall when, you know, you said, you know, I want, you know, you you offered. I didn't have to ask you. You offered to reach out to a few schools on my behalf. Man, that's no you, problem. For you to do that. You know, having met me once and obviously we've stayed in touch a bunch, you know, a bunch afterwards. And I was just like, holy crap, man, like this game's been good to me. I've met so many people because of that orange ball.
1: Yeah. But but you know what, man, that that's no problem, because from our one interaction and from the time that we, we've kept in touch, your character has spoken volumes. Right. The type of person you are spoken volumes, your integrity has spoken volumes. So I, I I know that I can stamp you as and I had no problem reaching out, you know. And I, I'm I'm sorry that I was unable to get you connected to anything, man. I apologize for that. But man, that, that's not a problem. And in this game of basketball, there's there's more than enough players out here. There's more than enough opportunities for everybody to eat. And if you can help somebody, why wouldn't you? It, 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 it's, it's mind-blowing to me how stingy some coaches are. Like literally, like mind-blowing. Man, God blessed me with an opportunity to coach the game of basketball. Like that That's my career. That's what I do. Like, come on, man. If I can help anybody, why wouldn't I? What do I lose from it? Come on.
0: Yeah, I, I always say good people help good people help good people. We're definitely good people.
1: Likewise, brother. Likewise. Thank you so much for this opportunity, man. Thank
0: you. No problem. And, again, please apologize to Coach Dixon for me. I mean, I'm terrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I, I got I got Should I mean I got to introduce you to him? You, you'd love him. You'd love him. And I I would have suggested him on the podcast, but I know he he's uh, might be a thing with the NBA when they get interviewed out. He is interviewed out. He does he does not like doing interviews. He just he's I guess he's tired of of doing them. And you know what? If I was that good of a player, I guess I'd be tired of doing them too.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're get when you a former NBA player and you get asked the same questions over and over, you know, Every oh, what I was get- it like to be drafted by MJ? What was it like to play for him? Talk about playing for a legend in Gary Williams, you know. I, oh, dude, I, I get it. And you want to focus on your family and yeah. your program.
1: Yeah, so I get it, man. So I'll definitely introduce you to him, uh, you know, because I know you're not too far. You're, you'll be around. You definitely have to come to a practice by God's grace when the fall starts back up. If you're not, you know, coaching somewhere else or, you, you know, if you're available. We'll we'll get that rolling.
0: Definitely, man. But, hey, uh, again, appreciate you coming on the podcast. And, uh, you know, let's stay in touch. Hopefully we got a season this year. And uh, hopefully you guys continue to take that next step.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Thank you so much, Dave. Have a good one, brother.
0: You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.